have a lot of things going on. This is the beginning of what the church calls Holy Week. You know, Palm Sunday is when Jesus went in. We're going to be talking about that a little bit more here in just a minute. But I want to challenge you, you know, we've been doing this 14-day action plan. We're halfway through it. We've got more, one more week. And if you uh, don't have one of these, you can start out anytime right now. Start out today. It uh, should be in the foyer. If you can download our app, it's uh, on our app. and uh, Or you can go online at cornerstonelife.org and get it there. But it's just every day to do something uh, specific to be a light into your community, into your family, and uh, share the love of Jesus everywhere you go. So I want to challenge you to do that. And we have some uh, Week of Love, what we call the Week of Love events is that we do. It's just to reach out in our community this Tuesday. Uh, we're going to have you guys come here. What time is that, Luke? What? Six o'clock here Tuesday night. Um, you're going to come here, and then we're going to help us canvas some of the neighborhoods with just these, these bags, these gift bags. And, they, and just to invite them to uh, our church, just going to put them on their door. It'll have either a case of Christ or uh, the Passion of Jesus Christ book in it. For them, have an invitation, and uh, one of my favorite that has eggs with candy in them. These are mine. Anyway, um, I, I would eat them because I think some of them are Laffy Taffy, and I couldn't preach at the same time by eating them. But anyway, if it was chocolate, I could do that. Anyway, but I want to encourage you to come and be a part of that. This Wednesday is a community project that we're going to be reaching out into our community. Uh, this Thursday is uh, uh, our f- regular food drop, and I want to encourage you to come and and be a part of our food drop. Basically, we, we uh, give food, fresh food, to uh, once a month to uh, hundreds of people that come here on Thursday afternoon. Uh, so there's more information in your bulletin and in your um, Easter What's the Big Deal uh, two-week event planner. And so I would encourage you to do that next Saturday. Come and pray for this coming Sunday. You know, this Sunday is one of our biggest outreaches that we do. Because a lot of people, we're over almost double the size that we are during our regular Sunday services on this Sunday. And so, and more people come to know Jesus on this coming Sunday than any other Sunday in the whole year. And so I want to challenge you to, to be praying for that. Come on Saturday morning at 8 o'clock here at the church. There will be people here just praying for uh, that on Easter Sunday. And, and, and just come and pray for them and just get involved. But also I want to encourage you to do something else, is to invite somebody. So on your way out, we're going to give you some of these bags. And don't just take them for yourself or let them lie in your car, but take them and intentionally invite somebody to our Easter services this next Sunday. Because you are a light. And you, by inviting somebody, I believe they will come to our, our services. In fact, not only invite them, pick them up, you know, take them out for dinner or whatever, or breakfast, but get them to come here in the, this next Sunday. So on your way out today, there's going to be some bags that you can take. Take one, take two, or however many that you will, you know, you're going to pass out and pass out to people, okay? Also, I want to remind you, next Sunday, we do have three services next Sunday, we have a regular 9 and 11, but we have a, um, what we're calling a sunrise service. But it's at 8 o'clock because none of us really wanted to get up at sunrise to do it. And so um, it's an abbreviated service. It's 45 minutes long, but it's, ju- it's going to be just as impactful. And we wanted to do that just to relieve some of the uh, pressure for the Sunday morning. So I encourage you, one of the things, you can come to that service and then after that service, go get your friends or whatever, bring them to the other service, and if we need room, you can give up your seat for somebody else because you've already been through one. Is that okay? Is that cool? Say that's cool, Sean. Thank you. Thank you. Instead of looking at me like you didn't hear a thing. Anyway, God's good, isn't he? 
Amen. Look in your bulletin. There's some notes I want you to follow along with me on today. You know, since we're talking about what's the big deal about Easter next week, I thought it would be good for us to talk about what's the big deal about Palm Sunday. Because we go through Palm Sunday and, you know, we kind of know what it is. But let me kind of go in depth biblically a little bit more about what it means, okay? And so that's what I'm going to do today because Jesus began his final week of ministry today by entering into Jerusalem and there was a big celebration going on. Multitudes have come to Jerusalem at this time and and when Jesus entered in, they greeted him with Hosanna and raising palm branches and waving palm branches at him as he enters the season. And what's happening is something so cool that happens on this day. A lot of times we just miss it. What is Palm Sunday all about? Why is it so special? What's the meaning of Palm Sunday? So I want you to turn to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, verse 12. And let's read the account, a little bit of the account here of what happens here. Because I'm going to give you four Um, takeaways that you can take away from this story that really can be impactful in your life and why he did what he did. Okay, so John chapter 12, verse 12 says here, the next day, the great crowd that had come for the feast, talking about Passover, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. Verse 13, they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord even the king of Israel. Now, let's go down to verse 17. Now, the crowd that was with him, when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him up from the dead, continued to spread the word. So that crowd that was with him at that time saw Lazarus raised from the dead, and they began to spread the word all around. Then many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. Now, this week is preceding uh, the Jewish Passover, when a time Jews from all over the civilized world would make the pilgrimage to Jerusalem. The Jewish historian Josephus said there, at this time there's about 2 million Jewish people who had come to Jerusalem at this time to celebrate the Passover. And every Passover they had, it was really a nationalistic um, hope that the Messiah was going to return because there's been prophecies in the Old Testament that the Messiah would return during Passover. So they were always excited. They had this expectation that something great was going to happen during Passover. So it shouldn't surprise us to find that out that these multitudes that were flocking to Jesus as he was approaching the cities, city of Jerusalem to hail him as the Messiah King. Because they begin to hear all about his miraculous deeds, all the authoritative teaching that he was teaching. And so all those things were already well known in Palestine. And then the news that just previously, the few days before, he had raised Lazarus from the dead. So when they heard Jesus was approaching, the multitudes fled the city to greet the approaching Messiah, and they greeted him with this royal victory celebration. John tells us that they took the branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, waving the palm branches at him. Now, waving palm branches it doesn't seem like much, but back then it was, com- it was a common way how they celebrated a king returning 
from victory or a great liberator. They would celebrate by waving palm branches at them. And so they began to do that. And then they began to sing, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they take that out of Psalms 118. And that psalm is commonly sung during this time during Passover. And then the final words, they added during this time, even the king of Israel. So that is precisely the way the crowd seemed to take Jesus as the Messiah King. And so without question, they thronged him and they held him as the promised Messiah King as he was coming in. So here are some takeaways we can take away from this story and what this really means. Number one, Palm Sunday assures us that Jesus really is the true Messiah and that God's promises in the Old Testament have come true. You know, it's popular among a lot of liberal scholars and really some unbelievers to deny that Jesus ever presented himself as the promised Messiah. Some argue that it was only the opinion of the multitudes, or others admit that they think that Jesus got caught up in the moment, you know, like Jesus was ever moved by the crowd anyway. And so they thought he got caught up at the moment, or he never intended people to view him as the Messiah. And still others think that that title was only put on him after later on in the early church. But the biblical accounts says a different story. It says that it was there that Jesus deliberately pre-planned this and presented himself to the people as the promised king. So it was no accident. It was no mistake. It, uh, if the multitudes haven't, didn't testify this, Jesus says that the rocks would cry out. And so I want you to understand this, is that you and I have placed our faith in the right man. Amen? You are not mistakenly placing your faith in some lunatic, okay? You're not, you're not, it's not some Jewish rabbi or, or some, uh, some minor prophet or something like that. He's not an imposter. He is God's true Messiah, the very one that was promised in this word. And it also encourages me that to see that this happened, that this This was prophesied 500 years before in the book of Zechariah. That he would come into Jerusalem on a donkey. And it happened just as he said. And the same Bible teaches us that the Messiah is going to come back again. Aren't you glad about that? But he won't be on a donkey. He says he'll be on a war horse. Amen? And he's coming not to kill people, but to take up his kingdom again and establish his kingdom on the earth again. And I love what it says in Revelation chapter 7 because it says that what they experienced in Luke 12 on Palm Sunday, it says we're going to experience this again. Look what it says in, in Revelation 7. Verse 9 says, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and palm branches were in their hands. So get ready. Go get your palm tree ready. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Aren't you excited about that? That's going to be a great day. He is coming again. And number two, I want you to understand this. What we can take away, in fact, one of the most important things we can take away about Palm Sunday is that Palm Sunday reminds us that Jesus went to the cross on our behalf deliberately and willingly. Christ's public profession, when he presented himself, as the Messiah, 
He presented himself, and that perci- that's what precipitated his death. Before that time, Christ was never one to be really out in public in the sense of saying who he was. He avoided too much public exposure. Remember, he would heal someone and says, hey, listen, don't, t- don't tell anybody about this, you know? He would say, you know, go home, but don't, don't say too much to too many people. Why? He didn't want people really to know. It wasn't the yet time for him for people to know this. And so, but now he comes out and he identifies himself as the Messiah and approves the multitudes doing the same thing. He's okay with them saying, Hosanna to the king. He's okay for them saying that. And this infuriates the Jewish religious leaders. And they remarked to one another in John 12, 19, they said, and they said this, says, don't you see that your delay is getting us nowhere? They're talking, these Jewish leaders are talking to the other Jewish leaders who are actually starting to follow Christ. And they were holding back from doing anything to him because they think this may be the Messiah. And they says, don't you see that your delay is getting us nowhere? The whole world has gone after him. And so they're seeing these multitudes of people going after Jesus. And they're saying, hey, listen, we've got to do something quickly to stop this ministry. And so Jesus purposely did this. He shows them that I am the Messiah King. And then, you know, he gets on a donkey. And a lot of people think that Jesus rode in Jerusalem on a donkey because it was of humility. It had nothing to do with humility at all. See, a donkey or a mule was always used, was the preferred mount of royalty back in those days. King David commanded his servants to have Solomon place on a mule, the king's mule, and ride in in Jerusalem as a sign that David had chosen Solomon to be the king in 1 Kings chapter 1. So when Jesus chose to enter Jerusalem mounted on a donkey, he purposely did that to show people that he was the king. Not that he was some lowly servant. No, I am the king. He wanted, this was the time that he decided, I want you to know who I am. And not just any king. Both John and Matthew indicated that Jesus rode in Jerusalem on a donkey in order to fulfill Zechariah 9.9. It says, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's coat. Jesus wasn't merely presenting himself as king, but as the messianic king of Israel. So he wanted them to know that. He wanted them. He knew that when he rode in, what would eventually happen? He knew the praises of the people would come and praise him as the king, even though they would be empty praises. But he also knew that it would infuriate the Roman leaders and the Jewish leaders. And then Jesus, he condones the praises and accolades of the multitudes. In fact, Luke tells us that some of the Pharisees were in the crowd and they heard the multitude saying, Jesus is the king. And they said to, said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Because they didn't agree with what the crowd was saying and they didn't believe that he was the Messiah. And so they wanted him to correct them and make sure that they stopped doing that because, and tell them, oh, no, I'm not the Messiah. That's what they wanted to do. And look what Jesus says in Luke 19. He looks at them in verse 39. He says, I tell you, if these become silent, 
the stones will cry out. Which is another way of saying, I am the king and I must be acknowledged as such right now. He wanted them to know. So Christ's triumphal entry into Jerusalem reveals this to us. That Jesus is the Messiah King. And God promised Israel a long time ago that there would be a, he would establish one of David's sons, which Jesus is, on the throne forever. And Palm Sunday acknowledges that, that Jesus of Nazareth is the promised Messiah. And that's the obvious meaning of Palm Sunday. And so he realized that such an open, public declaration of his identity would result in his betrayal and arrest. He was fully aware of what he was doing. Because you know what was coming next? Passover. Where the blood of the Lamb was going to be slain to take away the sin of the world. Jesus knew it all along. He was willing and he was deliberate in doing and following through with this. You know, that's the thing about it is, is when he got on that donkey and started riding in, I believe, I personally believe, he saw you. Because he wasn't just riding. He knew what he was doing. He knew this act would get him killed. He chose that. And I love what he says in John 10. He says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them here also. And they will hear my voice and they will become one. That's you and I, by the way. He was seeing you and I. And they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay my life down my life so that I may take it again. I love what he's saying here. He's saying, you had no choice in this. I'm the one who is laying down my life. See, the, the Roman government couldn't touch Jesus. The Jewish leaders couldn't touch Jesus. He is the one that had them do this. His whole action on Palm Sunday was causing this to happen. And he says, he says, he says to them, he says, he says, because I lay down my life so I, that I may take it again. No one, I love this, no one takes it from me. These guys couldn't touch him. He's the one that rode in and he's the one that gave his life. But I lay it down of myself. I, I love this. Isn't this cool? I love Jesus being authoritative here. He says, I have authority. He didn't say you had authority. He didn't say the Jewish leaders had authority. He says, I have authority to lay it down. And I love this part. I have authority to take it up again. Jesus wasn't duped into it. He wasn't coerced. He wasn't forced into the situation against his will. No, Palm Sunday reminds us that Jesus willingly and deliberately threw himself into the hands of the Jews and the Romans in order to become our sacrifice for sin. Why? Because of love. Greater love has no man than this than lay down his life for his friends. And that's what Jesus did. He loved the Father and he loved you and I and was willing to do whatever it took to redeem us from our sins. I love that part. That's one of the greatest part. When I was just thinking about this and studying this in the last couple of weeks, man, I began to cry because, man, he, for, he knew what he was going to go through. He knew the pain. He knew the suffering that he was going to have to do. The beatings, the whipping, the crucifixion, the death. 
And he saw me. And he did it anyway. He saw me when I failed him. And he did it anyway. He was willingly and deliberately did this. He didn't have to do this. He did it himself. That's what I love about Palm Sunday. This is the time. He says, here am I. Come and get me now. And let's finish this. Amen? It is finished because of this. I love that part. Number three, Palm Sunday teaches us there's a far more glorious and spiritual nature of what Christ did, what Christ's kingdoms did. You know, in our world, we change things through war, right? How did the United States happen? It was through rebellion. It was through war. Now, I'm very thankful for our our country, and I'm very thankful for our armed force. And if you served, thank you very much. Amen. We have the greatest army in the world. And be honest with you, we need an army, don't we? We need one to protect us and to help us and to watch out for us. We definitely need that. But Christ's kingdom is not like that. Worldly weapons and military might, you know, definitely awe us. As did the people in Jesus' day. And man, we were impressed with them. But Jesus didn't come as an earthly, physical warrior to lead a rebellion and crush the Roman forces. Now, that might be a story that more people would want to believe in, but that's not what he did. He came, there's a couple of reasons he came here. He came to bring peace between God and man. And his war that he was fighting was not a physical war. It was a spiritual war against the enemy, the devil. And he brought peace to you and I. But Palm Sunday reminds me something else. Jesus was about a far greater victory than any earthly battle could afford. And that victory was already foreshadowed a few days earlier when he raised Lazarus from the dead. And it would take place later on. And he secured when Jesus himself died and he rose again. Paul, I mean, Palm Sunday anticipates Christ's victory over the greatest enemy of all. See, the Roman Empire was nothing, no match to Jesus. In fact, our enemies today, terrorism, whatever, is no match for Jesus. That's really not the battle. What Jesus came and he conquered was the most powerful thing that you and I can have. Jesus, the Messiah, conquered death. He conquered death. Now, it may not mean a lot to you right now because you're alive. But guess what? You are going to die. Physical death. Unless Jesus comes before you do that. And when you die a physical death, and when you're on your deathbed, that's going to be something that's going to be so precious. 1 Corinthians 15.55 says, O death, where's your victory? O death, where's your sting? And the wonderful truth about this is that I am going to live forever. What will matter more than anything else on my deathbed is going to be that Jesus paid the price and he had the victory over death. I'm so excited about that. And the thing about it is, it's not that I, I, I was completely on my deathbed when I was in the hospital, but if I wouldn't have gone to the hospital, I would have died in the next week or so. 
And, uh, and so when I was there and I was very weak, and we didn't know which way. We didn't know what was going on. We were scared, and, and uh, especially my wife. And I was just in, I was just whatever, Lord, whatever you want. And I got a taste of that, of that, that peace and that joy. And, and almost to the point, God, yeah, whatever you want. Death for a believer should be one of the most exciting things because you don't die. You don't die. You pass on to a greater realm. And it's one of the greatest things that we should look forward to. Why do we look at death as so painful? It's not. It's one of the greatest things. So if you're scared of flying, get on a plane. It's okay. It's okay to die. The Bible says this, that God rejoices in the death of His saints. Man, if He's rejoicing, you know what? When you die, you win the lottery. Amen? You win when you die. That is the greatest thing. I mean, in the church, we used to think it's such a bad thing when somebody dies, especially before they're 70. I don't know why people think that. It's okay to die. Amen? And it's a glorious thing because he's, he, death doesn't have a sting anymore. We get to be with God. That is far greater. Paul, used to, he, he talks about that. He goes through this banter where he just talks about, yeah, it's better. I'd rather go, but you guys need me here, so I guess I better stay, but I'd rather go. My dad, he's uh, 70-something. He's, what's it, 41, 74. And um, he... Uh, He's excited about dying. I don't like when he talks about that because he's spending all my inheritance for one thing. <laughs> but he's excited about it. My mom hates it when he talks about it. But he's excited about dying. Because I get to go see my dad, my mom, and I get to hang out with Jesus for eternity. That is not a mystical thing. That is a truthful thing. He overcame death. And I love it because guess what? We get to throw out this fleshly stuff that we have and get a new body. Amen? Aren't you glad about that? How many guys glad about getting a new body? Some of you guys really desperately need one. And um, <laughs> I've been, I, you know, I think a lot about my new body and, and what I want. I'm thinking Thor. <laughs> That's who I want to be like right there. Thor. I want to look like him. I, I'm going to, yeah, that's what I'm, I want the long hair. Don't, don't laugh at me. Some of you men thought the same thing. You know, you're not thinking Spider-Man because he doesn't have a good body. You're thinking Thor. <laughs> Amen. I'm sorry. <laughs> the, the sad thing is I do think about that. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So death is a good thing. And that's what Palm Sunday you know, tells us. He has victory over death. And it's a spiritual thing that he did. Amen? And listen, when he comes back in Revelations, where Revelations talk about that, he comes back in a horse, and we think it's... And I want, I want to challenge your view. Because we think Jesus, and he's going to come on a horse... And we always think physical. 
So we think army and slashing off heads. That's what we think. I want to challenge your view on that. And I want you to think a little bit differently. And I want you to think spiritually. And I want, I want, I'm not going to give you what I think right now. I'll, I'll do a whole Revelation series one day. But I want to challenge you and ask the, ask the Holy Spirit, what do you mean when you come back? When you come on that horse, what's going to happen? It's going to be a great day, and it will be a terrible day for some. Don't get me wrong. But he's going to come and establish his throne. But it's not going to be like you saw in the movies. And it's not going to be like any war king here. We think too physical, and you think spiritual. Okay, amen? Amen, number four, last one. This is one that's going to relate to you a lot more. Okay, so I want you to listen closely to it. Palm Sunday reveals a very sad reality. That many today who profess Jesus as Lord may not really know who he is. You know, Jesus confirms the superficiality of this big crowd of people. I don't know how many were there. Josephus said there's two million in the city. But there was a bunch. Yelling and screaming and praising him as Hosanna. But Luke tells us something, Luke 19. That as Jesus is approaching and in the midst of all these shouts of Hosanna, the waving of the palm branches. That he looked, Jesus looked at the city of Jerusalem and he began to weep. Can you imagine? Here in the midst of this victory celebration, the king begins to mourn. Why does he weep? Jesus tells us that he was weeping because the very multitudes that were praising him did not recognize the time of their visitation. Even though they were praising him as king, Jesus knew that they would turn around in a few days and denounce him as a criminal. Jesus weeping because the full meaning of his triumphal entry was hidden from their eyes. The great majority who held him as the king did not have a clue what they were doing. They did not really understand what was meant to profess Jesus as the Christ. So later on, the Jewish leaders called for his crucifixion, and they went right with him. Maybe because they didn't see him as they thought he should be, that warrior king. Let me tell you something, and this is what I've learned about people, is when Jesus doesn't perform like people think he should, people change and turn away from him. When maybe you don't have a prayer answered, and you don't know why it's not answered, and it may not be the time for it, but people say, I'm giving up. Or things don't work out your way. Same thing that will be here this week. You know, Palm Sunday we celebrate. Next week is Easter, and we'll have a lot more people here during that time. But do they really have a clue what all this means? They may profess Jesus as their Lord and Savior, but are they really going down deep and receiving all that he has? See, I don't want to just cry out Hosanna and then go out and live my life the way I want to live it. I don't want to go out and not have full faith in Him. 
These multitudes had lip service for one day, but who wanted him in their life the next day? Most of them didn't. They didn't recognize the time of their visitation. And the time of our visitation is now. Jesus Christ died. He rose again. And there's going to be a time that this time of visitation is over with. He comes back. And it's taking place right now in these end times where the Lord is releasing His glory through the church. And we are the church. We are His resources, His army to go out and declare His salvation to the earth. We carry that source of salvation, His Spirit in our lives, and we should reflect the glory. So do we realize what He's given us? When I talk about communion, do we realize that? Do we realize what we really have? And what He's called you to do and called you to be? Are we really walking in that? And I want to challenge you this week. What we call Holy Week. To dive more in to your relationship and understanding what you have in Jesus. Don't miss the opportunity. Paul says in Ephesians, redeem the time for the days are evil. Because he's given you his glory. And so what does that glory may look like? Well, it may look like feeding the hungry. Clothing the naked, caring for their orphan, standing up for those who are taken advantage of, visiting somebody who needs encouragement, and serving others. It may look like love, for God is love. Do we prefer ourselves over others, or do we prefer others over ourselves? Are we laying our lives down for our friends? It may look like the gifts of the Holy Spirit operating in the church for the benefit of those who need encouragement, who need correction, who needs healing, who needs deliverance, who needs freedom. It may look like the fruit of the Spirit, which operates, should operate in our lives, and that is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. It may look like this, undoing, and I love this part, the works of the devil. If we really realize the hour of this visitation that we're in, and we see the works of the devil operating in someone's life where it's bringing death, we should get such a holy fire inside of us that it it propels us to go change and bring life to that situation and that person. Where we see death, because death has been conquered, we should go and try to bring life to it. Amen? Amen? Where we see death in an area of our city, we should go bring life to it. Come on. Where we see death in in lives of others, even other believers, we should be the ones who go and bring life to those areas. Amen? You and I, are we going to understand the hour of our visitation? And yes, it looks like great power and might and signs and wonders. But the greatest expression of what Jesus came and gave us, and we recognize, is love. That we express it through love. And this is what Palm Sunday is about, that we recognize His visitation and receive all that He has for us, and that we do all that He's called us to do, that we make Him the true King of our lives. And if we truly recognize this visitation, we'll be in awe of what He has done and who he is, and be in awe 
of the working of the Holy Spirit inside of us. Are you ready for that? This is Palm Sunday. Amen? This is not just some holiday. This is not Christmas and Easter in the worldly view. This is Palm Sunday. This is the, the greatest part of our life. This is the day Jesus stood up. I am the king. And you have nothing to do about it. Amen? You can say nothing. I am the king and I am here. And I'm going to make a way to establish my kingdom in you. Are you ready for that? You ready for his kingdom to be established in you in a greater way? Bow your heads, close your eyes. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you for sending your son Jesus to come and on this day, 2,000 years ago, stand in front of Jerusalem and say, I'm the king. As he rode in on that donkey, he rolled in as royalty and made everyone, including his enemies, take notice that he is the king of kings. So, Father, we thank you. And what he did this next week. Father, show us this week. Give us wisdom, understanding on how we will not miss it. Father, I don't want to miss anything that you have for me. I don't want to miss any understanding, any truth. I want to operate it in it all, Lord, in Jesus' name. And I want to become all that you created me to become. And I want to take advantage of this time and receive all that you have for me in Jesus' name. And we thank you, Lord. And we choose to not neglect what you did for us. In Jesus' name. Everyone's eyes closed. I want to look around if you're here today. This is your time to be one of those who take advantage of what Jesus did. He came and he died for you, gave his life so we might have freedom. We might know love, real love, and might have all that he has for us and have a new life. You're sitting there, you know you need something more. So if you're here today, if you've never given Jesus Christ, made him the Lord of your life, made him your king, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. And you can do that just by raising your hand and making the decision, I choose today to make Jesus my king. So if that's you here, I don't want to take a whole lot of time, but I want to pray with you right where you're at. So I want you to raise your hand right where you're at and says, Pastor Sean, that's me. I want to make him my king for the very first time. If that's you, anybody in here says, Pastor Sean, that's me. I'll take that, okay? Anybody else? This is Pastor Sean. I want to make him my king today. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. So, Father, we just bless you and we just thank you. We give you our lives. Everybody repeat after me. Father, I give it all to you. I'll redeem this time. I make you the king of all my life. I don't want to miss what you have for me. So give it all and I receive it all now in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. Come on, give him praise. Isn't he good? Amen.